Welcome to a special edition of Thinking Logically. Today we are joined by a very special guest. He is the Republican Committee at Beaver County's Outreach Coordinator. And he is also a friend and colleague, Mr. Roman Kozak. Roman, welcome to the show. Hey guys, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Uh, And we are... Winding down this election season, uh, we're just about a little over two weeks away from Election Day. And Roman, what's tell us about the pulse of this of the state of the elections statewide, nationally. Just tell us how things are going, you know, out there in the Commonwealth. Oh, man, Um, you know, there's so much there we could dive into and jump into. Um, You know, I think starting with the bigger picture, you know, the high altitude version coming then coming back in here. I think that we look at the national picture um, for a while now, right? There's been this sort of tendency since the Dobbs decision that the uh, Democrats were sort of going to fend off, were sort of going to fend off a uh, red wave of some sort. Um, I tend to think differently about that. What what often happens with a lot of these polling firms ends up being that they uh, they overestimate the Democrats for a while, um, and then to save face closer to the election, the polls start tightening. And um, right now, I do think uh, nationally, I think that there is truly going to be some sort of red wave. The size of it, I'm not sure, but I do think it's going to be significant. Um, and I do think that uh, that's why you're seeing all of these polls tightening now, because there are a lot of pollsters <laughs> that are going to need to save face here that, I don't know, maybe I'm convinced, I'm not trying to be a conspiracy theorist, but I do think that a lot of these are Democrat-leaning polls um, that are pushed by the major media outlets, and they try to discourage Republican turnout um, over these last months. But they, they now they have to sort of save face. So, uh, but locally, pol- politically here in Pennsylvania, man, it's it's uh, the if you're looking at the state legislature, um, we're going to save the Senate, no problem there. The House, we may lose a couple of seats when we. We are sort of because of redistricting, but the Republicans will retain the House. Um, not a problem. The, the governor's race is going to be interesting. I do think it's going to be tighter than, way tighter than uh, what the current polling is. Okay, so Roman, my first question, um, you brought up the polls and you didn't want to get conspiracy theorists that there were suppression polls or anything like that. But I mean, we think logically here and I don't see anything that changed really anyone's mind that in the last two weeks would all of a sudden make all these people dash Republican to, to make it up for the polls. Now, do you think that some of these pollsters just don't want to get embarrassed again, like in 2016 and 2020, so they're making it seem like, oh, it's going to be a close one this way whenever there is a red wave. They could say, well, we said it was going to be close, and and it was within the margin of error still, four or five points. Yeah, you know, um, if you look at the, you know, if you get nerdy and geeky like me, if you look at the methodology of some of these polling, they often tend to oversample Democrats. And the reality is, is that Republicans, um, especially in the past, you know, eight years, have had, had more of a tendency to not answer polls. Um, that's just that's where the groups like Trafalgar Group come in. I'm sure you guys know them or have heard of them, and they, 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 one of their specialties them being the most one of the most accurate polling uh, agencies in the past couple of presidential elections has been that they have a methodology that accounts for um, sort of Republican uh, non-responsiveness to polling and they incorporate things in that help uh, calculate for that so um, you know as far as these polling firms go here's the thing like 
most of these polling firms out there that we see, they're attached to major media outlets and major, major media outlets have funding behind them and they have certain narrative things to push. Uh, and so to say that, you know, oftentimes just because they're numbers, they're somehow objective. It's, it's kind of ridiculous at times. So we have to make sure we look at the methodology and just what's going on in the past, you know, uh, especially a couple, a couple of weeks here with the polling. Um, yes, I think they are trying to save face a lot of them. This is why you're seeing a lot of them tighten. And to be frank, yeah, they, they have a narrative. There. They have a group they're trying to, to get over the finish line. There's psychology behind some of this stuff. But, okay, yeah, we, so, we I mean, often cite Trafalgar Group when we talk about polling on this show. I mean, we, we see a lot of polls, but the only, only website we will quote when it comes to polling is Trafalgar. And <clears throat> right now, According to Trafalgar, you know, they have Doug Mastriano down 9.3%. Yeah. And John Fetterman up 2.4 uh, within the margin of error with 4% undecided on that race. Um, so, yeah. you know, things aren't looking great for, for Mastriano. But um, why have the Democrats succeeded in painting Mastriano as this right-wing extremist? It just seems like he's not as visible as Shapiro's been throughout this campaign season. And it seems like they're spending a lot of money on attack ads on Doug to make him out to be this, you know, right wing, as I said, extremist. Well, I mean, who's not a right wing extremist anymore, according to the left, honestly. Um, that's the whole thing they want to paint us. Uh, me, my, you know, Republicans, conservatives, they want to paint us as the Looney Tunes, right? And they keep going back to, um, you know, things like, January 6th and election denial and all these things like that. And somehow this correlates with, you know, uh, some sort of, uh, I don't know, like fascist ideology or something. Right. And so Doug Mastriano, speak particularly to him, um, he made his rise during uh, the COVID shutdowns and he had these fireside chats he held on Facebook and he really was a leader. He spoke out um, directly towards the mask mandates or against the mask mandates um, against the business shutdowns and was asking a lot of questions that a lot of other politicians, frankly, were afraid to ask. Um, you know, the guy has a, a pretty stellar record. Um, it's hard for me to believe that he's some sort of right wing extreme, you know, fascist, whatever they want to call him. Um, when he served uh, honorably for, I think it was over 20 years, and he rose to the rank of colonel in the army. Um, you don't do that by being some nut job. He has a doctorate in history. He knows his stuff. He's not stupid. Um, and he also decided to take a certain political um, path that I think hurt him or is hurting him now. And that is um, that he decided in the primary, there was, I think, 17 or 18 candidates in the Republican gubernatorial primary. And he um, was really, really attacked by all of those guys. Um, and a lot of that money that was behind those original attacks were from some of the most major um, conservative organizations in Pennsylvania, particularly the, the major, you know, donating money, the PAC money. And those organizations thought that he might come off as too extreme, particularly because of his, his contributions to um, 2020's election uh, fraud auditing. You know, he held a couple of different hearings himself, uh, went around the country to different places like Arizona to take part in some of these hearings in regards to the 2020 election. So, they were worried. I know a lot of Republican strategists were worried that 
it would be difficult for him to win over independent voters. So they put money out against him early on. Um, and Doug, uh, he's a tough cookie. I mean, I've, I've gotten a chance to talk with him a few different times and um, he really is a very, uh, really kind man, a very humble man. And um, I think that his strategy though, of sort of boxing out that big money because of what they did to him in the primary, uh, it was sort of a Trumpian way of doing things, you know, like kind of like a screw you, I don't need you guys. Um, but now it's, he's not Trump. That's the ultimate thing, right? He's not a, he's not a billionaire. He doesn't have the media sway that Trump had and power that Trump was able to use the media with. So, man, I'll tell you, the strategy he chose, I think, is coming back to bite him in the rear end, unfortunately. Um, there's, there were millions of dollars of TV ads purchased by some major groups for the gubernatorial race that he sort of just didn't accept and went on his own. So th- that money was directed for other candidates. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Oh. It just seems like to me, and I'll, Joe, I'll let you go for this question or this comment, but it just seems like to me, and we're not going to get into abortion or anything like that, but it just seems like to me some of his views are going to alienate independent voters. You know, some of those people mm-hmm. in the middle that may have broken for him that where he was, you know, and we'll just say abortion, you know, the no excuse abortion, not even if the, the mother's life is in danger, it seems like, at least that's what, you know, they're painting him as, um, that he's going to alienate a lot of people. And I think that's why you're seeing the numbers reflect the way they do. And it's unfortunate because we have a, a democratic candidate in Josh Shapiro who straight out wanted to deplatform people spreading misinformation about vaccines, you know, in COVID, you know, uh, a year ago, a year and a half ago. So no, it's unfortunate where we may be a, end up with a, a governor, you know, who, you know, isn't going to put the freedom of Pennsylvania first. Well, well, the, like I said, great. Their main attack it's it's that he's a, a Nazi, fascist, whatever. What is what is dangerous and what is fascist and and what is controversial about questioning a close election? Um, Roman, correct me if I'm wrong, but we had people that swore on our oath and, and signed affidavits that that said they saw trucks show up with ballots in them, and then the courts dismissed these on standing. They never really heard the evidence, so it's not like they saw evidence. They just dismissed them on standing. So there is something there. I mean, should you be disqualified because you say, hey, there might have I have some questions about this mail-in ballot that the guy I'm running against pushed through. And I have a lot of other questions about what happened in 2020. And all, all of a sudden, it's like you're blackballed. I, I find that crazy, Roman. What, I mean, what do you think? Well, I mean, to be consistent, um, you know, again, this isn't just pointing figures, figures the other way. Well, they did it too. But the reality is if we go back, um, 2016 when you think of Stacey Abrams in Georgia and stuff like that uh, and go back to Al Gore I mean where's the election denial primarily been coming from um, this whole narrative that the Democratic Party somehow stands for free and fair elections and like no you know like that's the most secure elections of all time um, just because they won it's ridiculous um, that, that whole idea that they get to somehow say that the elections were stolen they were cheated you know the republicans suppressed the vote whatever it is now but suddenly they win and it's like oh okay you know it's fine um we i mean both sides are hypocritical on this you know let's be fair we, we we've both taken the the uh our ball when we want it and taken it home and um it's 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 frustrating to see um but yeah as far as that the election goes itself um 2020 and with mastriano uh, and some of his views on it um of course, they're going to attack him there, right? That's where it makes him look crazy. And you saw the media narrative consistently after the election in 2020. I mean, it was 
have you ever seen those videos, you know, where it's like they've got like 27 anchors saying the same thing at the same time, right? The most free and fair election of ever in history, like they're all repeating it. I mean, it's a narrative. It's it's something that that's utilized to make him seem crazy, conspiratorial. You know, we're the ones in our mom's basements, um, you know, coming up with conspiracies, hanging out on whatever, you know, Discord server it is. I don't know, whatever these kids use these days, but um, we're just... We're, we're painted into that corner to try to make us look crazy and extreme. And we're not the ones that extreme. We're not the ones trying to force COVID vaccines on children. Uh, we're not the ones with these extreme abortion stances and, um, you know, spending the most money in the history of the world <laughs> in these past few, few uh, years with stimulus packages. So, okay. Does that answer your question? I don't know. I, I that that's that, little... hey, that that that's good enough. I mean, like I said, there there's it, it's 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 almost Orwellian. Like some of the things you, it, it is like the way the right is treated versus the left, and and how it's almost like they have the media and big tech on on their side too. It's it's very unfair. And like you, you mentioned with Al Gore, it goes all the way back to the 1800s. We we were having contested elections. Oh, yeah. It's nothing new. Absolutely. I just heard a uh, clip from Carrie Lake. A different clip that we played on our last episode, Joe, and they were asking her about, uh, I'll use air quotes, election denial. And then she basically went off, you know, and said, what, why, you know, she was citing examples of other Democrats who denied elections. Is that, that's what they want to call it, you know? And, yeah. and you don't hear that part. You don't hear that part, which is unfortunate because it is just so, everything is so one-sided and so slanted anymore that conservative voices are just being suppressed at all levels. Um, but you have a question I should on, say yeah. I should say real quick in regards to that election stuff that we that conservatives and Republicans do need to think a little better sometimes about how we present it um, and how we communicate some of these things. You, the reality is 2020 had a lot of funny business going on. And I don't just mean some of the things that make people point out in um, people are pointing out like maybe in documentaries or whatever that's coming out. I'm talking specifically about the abuse of power, um, taking advantage of emergency powers in the COVID lockdown situation, these secretaries of states, um, these people are political animals. They know what they're doing. And they knew very well that this was an opportunity them for take, to take advantage and to go out and to create a scenario where they could really, um, they could really expand the number of people that would submit ballots. And whether or not those people were the ones that submitted them, that's a whole other story. But the thing is, is they took advantage of this situation. And uh, it's a total disgrace, to be honest with you, because, you know, they, they say this stuff about our election system all the time, about how Republicans are trying to suppress the vote for things like voter ID. And it's, it's crazy. If you look at every developed country, uh, Western developed country, you know, first world country in the West, um, including places like France and Canada, which you might think of more left leaning. Um, they've got very strict voter ID laws, absentee ballot laws, because France in the 1970s ran into this mad, massive voter scandal or voter fraud scandal. Um, that it, and, you know, they say voter fraud doesn't happen. It's, it's just it's crazy. If you know human nature, you know that people are going to take advantage of those things. OK, so um, another question. And if you could answer this just real quick, I don't know how in depth you want to go or how in depth you can go. What is the plan for the state of Pennsylvania? Because I'm not as familiar with the state races for state Senate and state House as I am with the national ones. But what is the plan if we do have a red wave in Pennsylvania and we take control of the state House, Senate, and let's say Doug wins the, the governor, the gubernatorial race? Are, are we done with mail-in voting? Are we, are we, is there plans already in place to get rid of all this stuff? Man, uh, 
I would think so. Um, because of what I understand. Yeah. I mean, say that we actually pull that off, um, where, where that can happen. I mean, like I said, the house and the Senator are a lock. Um, I have no doubt about that unless something, you know, seismic is going on that we don't see. Um, but if the governor's, yeah, if the governor's mansion is one, listen, there's going to be, there's still going to be issues. Um, We've seen it in the past with the Republican Party um, nationally, where, you know, you've got the trifecta, you've got the Senate, the House and the presidency and nothing happens or little small things happen. Right. Um, In Pennsylvania, I think there's a greater opportunity. I do think the corporate net income tax will be dropped. Um, I think that oil and gas drilling will will take off. I really do. Um, I think moratoriums and whatever other, you know, regulatory things that are getting in the way, I think those will start to be um cut down and and we will unleash those things um and i know governor a governor mastriano would would have no uh would do that right away he'd get us out of reggie this regional greenhouse gas and gas initiative was it's totally unconstitutional um that governor wolf has put us into and shapiro wants to continue um as far as mail-in ballots go um here's the weird thing about that is you know that was passed with, uh, if you guys are aware, Act 77, that was passed with Republican support. Now, there was a trade-off there. The Republicans traded um, straight voting, straight ticket voting. So um, on that, got rid of straight ticket voting. So you can't go in now and click Democrat or Republican straight party um, for that mail-in trade. And I think that's considered, that could be possibly one of the worst trades in history. Um, so that was just a terrible, terrible decision. And I know a lot of Republican legislators who were in office now who have voted for that originally have come out and said listen that they acknowledged that was a terrible thing and i respect them greatly for that but getting it off it's popular i know a lot of republicans hate it but it is popular and i can see that being difficult to get rid of to be honest i really do so it's going to take a lot of work to get rid of that we we on the last episode we found an article from the pittsburgh tribune tribune review that said there were 1.2 million mail-in ballots Roman that were requested 1.2 million and the Democrats were outpacing the Republicans out of that 1.2 million five to one. That's an unbelievable number. That's almost a million Democratic mail-in ballots as opposed to 200,000 Republican mail-in ballots. And we've mentioned before how Pennsylvania doesn't have pre-canvassing in the state, Mm -hmm. meaning they don't permit the counting of ballots before Election Day. So the confidence in these elections is being completely undermined when we're it's not 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. The polls have been closed for three hours. We don't have any idea who's going to win this race because they're going to be counting through the night into the next day, into the next week. It's just it's just not a good look. And frankly, it creates a lot of doubt in the minds of voters, especially, you know, the, the people that lose, you know, the losing party. And it's just hard for me to hard for me to understand why why it has to be like this. You know, I don't think our, I don't think the voters realize how bad melon votes the melon voting is for the state. I just that that that's what I think it boils down to. People don't realize how bad and how easily it can be. It could be. I think. Yeah, I mean, if you go out, if you ever canvass for a candidate, one of the things you get is you get these things called walking lists. We use them. They're street lists. They're registered voters locations. And the more places you go that are um, condensed with population, cities, 
and, and towns. It's, it's unbelievable. You'll walk up to an address, right? You know, it's an apartment building or, or, you know, like a duplex or something like that. And you'll walk up and you'll see, you know, 12 voters registered at this address. And you'll knock on the door and the person that answers the door is not any of those 12. So these people, you know, a lot of people move around a lot and they're still registered at these old locations. So, you know, requesting that ballot, people will make arguments about Pennsylvania. Yeah, but you have to say this, this, and this, or you have to request it this way. And, but ultimately at the end of the day, yeah, you're right. Like in these condensed locations and areas, especially Philadelphia, come on, we all know Philadelphia. I mean, there's a, what was the one former uh, the congressman that just got sentenced for all the voter fraud and tampering that he dealt with. Or was it a judge? I can't remember uh, if you guys saw that or not. I did. I did see it. I can't remember if it was. Uh, it was the former congressman. I think. Yeah. But yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, we know that that stuff is going to be taken advantage of. And uh, yeah, mail-in balloting, I think, is a total nightmare. They can't even do signature verification. You know, this secretary of state comes out and basically says thumbs or nose at the Supreme Court and says, yeah, go ahead and accept, you know, ballots that don't have a date on them. It's like. Unless unless it's a recall election, unless it's a recall election in California, then they'll do the signature verification. I don't know if you saw that with Gascon. They recalled them and then they (laughs) took the signatures, and they're like, "Oh no, we have two hundred thousand incorrect signatures." Yeah, hilarious. So I mean, imagine that in California. Like they were, Governor Newsom was sailing or sending out mail-in ballots that weren't even being requested. Imagine going into LA and seeing some of these mailboxes with thirty-six, you know. Mail-in ballots. Some and the Democratic operative on the ground. I know these progressive groups. They're canvassing all the time. They probably just swipe them from the mailbox. This is why Carrie Lake and her election was so screwed up for two days. Because I think, I think they were going to try to cheat. This is a conspiracy theory. I know. And I think they realize they don't have the votes, even if they do cheat. And then they just announce her the win because she was up by how many percentage points, and they weren't calling the race for forty-eight hours. They just stood around and did nothing. It was crazy crazy to watch but yeah it's crazy all right mark um what do you want to get into next here well <clears throat> i know you you we've been we've been going back and forth about dr oz uh, on this mm-hmm. podcast and he didn't he, he almost got my vote in the primary uh but he didn't and that was an interesting primary as well i know joe's had has a, a few takes on this about how you know, and we had heard leading up to this from from some people, you know, in the Republican Party in Pennsylvania, that Oz was polling great internally against Fetterman and that Oz would be the best, would have the best chance to beat Fetterman. Yet when we see in the primary, you know, McCormick um, gave Oz basically all we could handle. I mean, it was down to what, under a, what, thousand votes? I mean, it triggered an automatic recount. Yeah. And McCormick just all of a sudden concedes. Which we kind of thought that was interesting. You know, I don't even know if they were even done recounting. I could be wrong. I know, I know Joe has, has some thoughts on this. But if Oz wins, you know, and we, we've seen him go back and forth on, on vaccines and, and things like this. And we know his past. And, but he's an accomplished heart surgeon, which people, you know, forget. But if, if Oz wins, how do you think he'll, he'll represent the people of Pennsylvania in the United States Senate? Well... I'm not Nostradamus. I've been wrong about elections often, <laughs> but I do think Oz is going to win this race. Uh, I think Fetterman's campaign is, is, is uh, they've done an incredible job of keeping him hide, hiding him and, uh, you know, uh, doing this whole Joe Biden sort of thing, keeping him out of the media and, and has a great team of meme creators. And, you know, basically, I don't know if you can meme or meme your way to the Senate seat, 
Um, but he's trying to. Um, but I do think Oz is going to end up pulling it out in the end. I think Betterman's just too extreme. People recognize it. And uh, and by extreme, I mean, um, on especially on things dealing with crime. And so Oz, I, you know, it's one of those things. I sort of point Oz out as like Trump in 2016. Obviously not, a, not the same person. But what I mean by that is... Um, we really had nothing to go off of with Trump in 2016, especially with his past, especially with sort of uh, some of the things he had previously supported when he was younger, um, most likely being a member of the Democratic Party and supporting candidates. He was in New York, so he had to sort of, he had a lot of money, so he did throw that around to different candidates. But um, it's the same sort of thing with Oz. You know, we've got to sort of just go by what he says. Um, and Trump proved himself with his policy implications, mostly because of the people he surrounded himself with. Um, Dr. Oz, I think, uh, it, it says something for a guy who is making $20 million a year just off of his TV deal alone in the largest, you know, health show in the world, um, to give that all up to go and run for Senate. Um, you know, maybe it was just a matter of he made enough money and he wanted to do something else, but I'll tell you, the more I'm around Dr. Oz and I have out of all the major candidates, I've actually gotten to spend, um, few different times with him one time walking around uh, beaver county and uh, particularly downtown beaver and it is familiar with this area and um i was very very skeptical celebrity tv doctor that sort of thing but he is intellectually curious he asks questions he has no level of arrogance about him it was totally different than what i expected um when he doesn't know the answer he starts asking very very good questions um and he uh seems to really care he, he interacts with people you can tell why he's extremely successful he's a very he's, he's a people person but he doesn't have that aura about him when i've been around other candidates that sort of like got this obama complex of i'm a celebrity um you know i'm the best thing that's happening right now um just his willingness to spend hours going into small businesses and talking with you know and into places where there was no one shopping at the time and just to talk to the business owner for 15 minutes and to ask questions about what they do I don't know. It, it was, it really won me over. And um, so I think that, I think he'll be a standard Republican vote. I think he'll vote conservatively and on those tough issues, man, it, that's just a matter of taking his word for it at this point. Yeah. I've heard that from a few people about Oz, about how he is for being a wealthy, you know, uh, celebrity. He's very down to earth and probably more of an average guy than people would think. And we've talked about Fetterman here at length on this podcast. Almost every episode, I think we bring up Fetterman. And, you know, th it seems like the Fetterman campaign is trying to draw sympathy votes for his debilitating stroke that he's had. And we saw his doctor give him a, a work release, basically, saying that he's, he's fit for the job. He has no restrictions. Yet the same doctor donated $500 to his campaign last year. <laughs> so... It's just, it's wild to see some of these things play out and unfold. And we know who the real candidate is in the Fetterman campaign. It's his wife. She will be the de facto senator from Pennsylvania. I mean, you talk about two opposite ends of the spectrum between Oz, who is obviously a brilliant man. He's a heart surgeon. Um, like you said, he's intellectually curious. You know, and the Fetterman, Fetterman campaign has done a good job of painting him, again, as a non-resident, as some elitist. You know, let, let me jump in here. Let me jump in here, Mark, because this is a it, Roman. If, if you ever get in contact again with Dr. Oz, here's a good counterattack for Dr. Oz. Anytime they accuse him of being from New Jersey. 
Where is John Fetterman's wife from? She's from New Jersey. <laughs> Who's going to be running that seat in the Senate? According to Joe Biden, and I think there was another woman that 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 commented. I, I can't remember who that she's going to be the candidate. Basically, she's going to be making the decisions. She's the handler. So that's a good attack ad right there. I mean, Roman, is this guy going to be wearing cargo shorts and hoodies on the Senate floor, debating I mean, bills in a in a in a Stephen Hawking like wheelchair? Uh, he, you know, the whole presentation, listen, John Fetterman is a work and I, I'm not a WWF guy, like WWE, you know, wrestling. I, I was when I was a kid, but there's a term used that's called a work. Okay. If you know what a work is, anybody else knows what a work is. A work is a, is a creation, right? It's a total fabrication. This guy was set up from the beginning. I am 110% convinced now. That this whole shtick and Braddock and the clothing, this was a creation that was like a laboratory creation, right? Like a political laboratory creation. Yeah, it's like we're the whole Braddock thing was simply to create this, you know, blue collar image, this I'm one of the people image to get him to the point where he could, you know, be utilized as someone like a lieutenant governor candidate and then up to the Senate. Like it's worked. It's worked very well. Um, in the Democratic Party with the pro- progressive leaning stuff. So, you know, the guy shows up in Braddock, attends like less than a handful of meetings, actual meetings as mayor, um, doesn't pay his taxes at all. Uh, was it someone said something like 67? I just remember that number stuck in my time. It's stuck in my head because that was the number of counties in Pennsylvania, whatever number it is. It's an, it's an extraordinary amount of time that he did not pay his taxes. Um, he had one major initiative in Braddock and it was some sort of weird climate change initiative which if you know anything about local government come on I mean like in a, in a rundown you know old steel town it's, it's <laughs> with a population of you know like 10 people I mean come on like really this 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 and the current mayor there won't even endorse his candidacy the place has gotten worse it's an it's just a, it's a disaster and you know, they're making him out to be like some great mayor from Braddock. The guy hasn't done squat. He barely presided at 50% of the time in the situations he needed to be in the Senate here in, uh, in Pennsylvania. Um, you know, is he going to be on the Senate floor doing that stuff if he were to actually win? He's a caricature, man. I mean, and like, and I don't know hard. The guy had a stroke and God bless him for hope. I, I, I really did feel bad for the guy and I, I would never wish any physical harm on him. And I know that most Republicans, you know, they try to make us seem like, oh, we want him, you know, we're making fun of him because he's a stroke victim. No, absolutely not. It's terrible. Um, but separating that from his political thing, I mean, like I said, it, it's to me, it's like the WWF. It's just like, really, like this is this people can't be taking this that seriously. We are we are a republic. We're not a democracy. We're a republic where we elect people to make the decisions for us. Uh, he's applying for a job. His health we should be able to see his medical records. I'm sorry, but he'll release, give us this little work release paper, but he won't release his medical records from a neurologist or from anyone else. It's crazy. It, it's crazy. And the media gives him a pass. Yeah. You know, if this was uh, the shoe were on the other foot, we'd be hearing about it nonstop, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We say that every episode. If the shoe was on the other foot, it would be wall-to-wall coverage. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, they... Dr. Oz has said something like in his health report, like, yeah, he's super fit and he even gets to do yoga every day. Like, that's hilarious. But yeah, I mean, you know, that would, if that were, again, she were on the other foot, they'd be talking, oh, isn't that so cool how he does yoga every day? And isn't that just so enlightening? And doesn't that make him such a great candidate? 
but you know he's a republican so <laughs> uh, all right uh roman we have some other races that we haven't really talked about on this on this podcast and one of them is a hotly contested race this is for the 17th congressional district here in pennsylvania connor lamb's old seat connor lamb vacated his seat uh, when he decided to run for senate uh this race is between republican jeremy schaefer and Democrat Chris uh, Deluzio, and as we, we laughed about the other day, it auto-corrected to delusion in my phone. <laughs> and we, we've seen some serious attack ads on both sides here. Uh, how do you see this race playing out? I mean, do the Republicans, you know, take this seat and, and pick mm-hmm. up a seat in the House? I mean, how do you see this, how do you see this one going? Um, obviously, I'm going to sound very partisan here again. Um, but no, I think Jeremy Schaefer is going to win this race. I think he's going to be part of the the, the red wave in the House. Um, Jeremy has, uh, he has done some, I mean, he is everywhere. The guy, if, if you pay any attention to, to politics around our region, I mean, the guy is somehow able to be everywhere. Um, he's fantastic at, um, his energy level is through the roof. I don't know how he does it, to be honest with you. Like there's certain people I'm around in politics that it's like, you know, they have that Trump factor where it's like, does this dude even sleep? Like, how does this guy operate? Um, and he's one of those guys that he's always got high energy. He's always got a smile on his face and he is, he goes everywhere he possibly can. And I think that um, they're, they have done a great job with his campaign. There's a couple of really powerful ads they've run recently. And um, like the if we want to talk comparisons, like Delusio, someone that's just moved into the district, like in the past, I don't know, five or six months. Um, he's not even from the area; he's from out of state. So, you know, that's the same sort of thing that's being attacked towards us in other circumstances. But I do think Jeremy's going to win. Um, I won't be surprised if you know he gets fifty-two, fifty-three percent of the vote. It's it could be tight. It's a little more Democrat-leaning registration. There's a ton of independents, and uh, the the red wave I do think is real. You know, speaking of the red wave in campaigns, and again, not to get into this topic, but it seems like the Democrats, their be-all and end-all is the topic of abortion. You don't hear Democrats talking about what they're going to do to help the economy, how they're going to combat inflation, how they're going to spur job growth. It's all about abortion and women's rights. And it seems like, is that really going to resonate with voters especially independent voters who who need to hear a different message than that it just seems like this is the hill they're going to die on and this is good for the republicans if you ask me because i feel like any any momentum you know that they may have picked up from the dobbs decision this summer is fading away and now the voters are really seeing what matters high gas prices uh and inflation are probably the two most important things that you know, at least Republicans are talking about Democrats aren't talking about them. So this is going to be another interesting race. And I hope we get to see the results of these races, Roman, you know, within like 48 hours of the polls closing. But I'm not very confident in that happening. Yeah, so. good luck on that. I don't I don't know. Yeah, the, de- yeah the, the whole the whole abortion. I mean, that's the only thing that is all they've got, because the reality is, is Biden's approval rating is that, you know, it's. It's tanked. Um, you know, the consumer price index is 8.5%. It's up since last year. That's, a, that's incredible. Fuel up 58%. 
eggs up 30%, gas up 18%, electricity up 15%. Um, the average family, this is the thing. It's like, this is, this is what really matters when it comes down to these elections. And I think, to be honest with you, the difference between the governor's election and Congress is a lot of people mentally think that the federal government has a little more control maybe or influence on inflation and the economy as opposed to the governor even though that, you know, we could, we could go into the debate that, but that's the general idea. But the average family is paying more, is going to be close to $9,000. It's like $8,700 more over the next year. That's how much an increase in the cost of a typical family household, you know, uh, expenses wow. is going up. Eight, right? That's as of today. If it stopped, if inflation stopped today, $8,700. And that's like an extra almost $800 a month. Um, so, I know I've, I have four kids. Um, I feel it. I see it. I mean, granted, you know, you, you, you're going to spend more on groceries as your kids get older, but it is insane how much more we are paying for the, these little necessities, you know, these necessities of life. Yeah. And, you know, something along those lines, you're looking at this, this last generic poll from, um, from Trafalgar, as of six days ago, in general, whom do you plan to vote in the upcoming 2022 congressional election? 48, 48.2% say Republicans, Republican candidate, 42.9% say Democrat candidate. And you have 9% undecided, Roman, which shocked me. I mean, what, you know, for these undecided voters, it's like, what, what else do you need to see? You know, You're, go look at your retirement account, your 401k, your, your other savings accounts how much you're spending every week in the necessities you need in life. And it's like, what, this is, this should be very cut and dry for people, you know? So uh, this is going to be, I can't wait to see the results of, of this coming election. Um, but along those lines, again, what, what races are you interested in nationally? When you, well, you know, what races are you looking at? You know, we've talked a lot about Carrie Lake. We've talked a lot about the Senate seats and, races that you're watching or maybe flip a seat here and there obviously jd vance and tim ryan in ohio is going to be a, a, it should be a close race looks like jd vance is up a few points in ohio which is good um we see herschel walker in in, in warnock neck and neck in georgia uh so what what races are you looking at nationally um well those are you know those some of those obvious ones you know georgia of course um arizona is interesting to watch pennsylvania our own state um, Nevada, that's going to be a Senate gain for the Republicans, I think. Um, there's some other interesting things that, you know, to watch. I don't know if you guys have seen anything about the Oregon gover governor's race. Um, what's going on there? Uh, you know, the, the governor there who's, who pushed all these, the tent cities in Portland. Um, I've not been out that way. I've never been out to Portland or Seattle. I mean, Seattle's obviously not in Oregon, but um, same sort of model and idea. I have had people told me that there literally are just parts of the, the cities that are just, I mean, they just have been overrun. They're just taken over. They're like, they're lawless zones. No one will go into them. Um, and so the Democratic governor, there is uh, the Democratic nominee as well is running against, um, there's someone who's a declared moderate independent who is pulling all of these votes away from the Democratic candidate and then so the republican could be elected there for the first time i think since like the 1980s or something um can't remember the exact year but there's a real good chance that because of that independent um candidate that the republican can can be a governor in oregon i don't know if you could believe that i i'm still kind of shocked by that but 
that's what I'm looking at. Um, New York governor, there's been this talk recently. I, I don't see it happening, but there is the lead is shrinking uh, with the New York, the current New York governor, um, the Democrat. I can't remember her name. Uh, is Kathy Hochul. Hochul, thank you. Yes. Um, it's funny you say that like because six or I'm seven looking, percent recently. Yeah, it just says here. I'm looking at, from the Wall Street Journal in New York governor's race. Lee Zeldin sneaks up on Kathy Hochul. This was from a day ago. You always gain yeah. popularity. You remember Fifty Cent and stuff. You always gain popularity right before you, like after you get stabbed or shot or something. That's how it happened to Zeldin, like two or three times, where he's almost been stabbed or shot. So it's crazy. Yeah, I, I don't think that the Republicans going to pull it out there, but I think it could be like what happened in New Jersey um, just recently, where it's that it could be just you know like, oh my goodness, this a Republican almost won New Jersey. Um, I think there could be something like that in New York as well. I, I think JD Vance is going to be fine in Ohio. Um, but Tim Ryan is someone to watch out for long-term, the Democrats. We're in this sort of realignment right now. Um, there's a political theory out there. It's kind of nerdy realignment theory. My one good buddy who's a political science professor is actually working on some projects with, with some of this theory right now. And it's, it's ultimately that we're in this populist movement right now on both sides of the party. And every so many years, this theory says that there's this populist uprising that sort of realigns parties and sort of reshuffles the deck. And, um, I think both the Democrat and Republican Party are going through some of that right now, but it's going to be really interesting to see the Tim Ryans of the Democrats um, versus, you know, in some of the older guard versus some of these, you know, Looney Tunes like AOC, uh, who's going to win the life of that party. Um, and they might be saying the same thing about the Republicans, you know, is it the Mitt Romney is going to versus the um, Donald Trumps or whatever, but um, who's going to have more unity there. But yeah, those are some of the races I'm looking at. Uh, Georgia, obviously, that's going to be super tight. Um, my friend down there that's in, in the uh, executive uh, branch of the government said that it, he says it's going to be an absolute nail biter. Um, that's the, uh, the feeling down there. So, man, I, that's the other thing is when are, when are we going to know the winners of some of these? And that could really, really drive us up a wall over those couple of weeks. Well, yeah, according, of- according to Joe Biden in Georgia, the, the voting rules are Jim Crow 2.0 or Jim Crow on steroids. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that that quote, but I'm looking at this. It seems like they're having more voting than ever. Put the yeah. words out of my mouth, Joe. Early voting records. This in is Georgia. insane. Jim Crow 2.0 on steroids. Amazing. It's a narrative, man. And that's the thing. You say something enough times, it's a lie. People start to believe it. They um, moved an cool. all-star game out of the state <laughs> for this. It's, it's oh, crazy. Oh. And wasn't it so glorious that the Atlanta Braves ended up winning the World Series? Like, come on, that was a little bit of a, you know, yeah, after yeah, all the, of that. <laughs> the World Series was fine. The World Series, it wasn't, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't Jim Crow down there anymore. They were allowed to play the World Series, but the All Star Game had to be moved to Colorado, where, it, who knows? Yeah, Jim Crow two point <laughs> Not my I words. That, like, Not my and words. I mean, like, what a, what an offense to to people. You know, what an offense to the African Americans and the civil rights leaders and stuff like that that fought like legit Jim Crow. Like, to no me, one it's thinks like of that because the media yeah. doesn't mention it. The media doesn't cover it that way, so no one thinks to think of it like, what about the people? Like, like exactly like you said, because the media is in, in working with them hand in glove. <clears throat> it's it's so sad, and that's I just I just think some of these talking points. You know, you hear. Um, when uh what's her name you know uh the first lady say some of the comments she's made and these these top democratic officials it's like they're the ones supposed to be representing the parties of you know social justice or whatever and and they come out and they say these just horribly racist things like 
like so out of touch, like clearly they have no idea what they're talking about and they get a pass for it. Right. But then you go, you know, you say something like Jim Crow 2.0. It's like, do you not realize what these civil rights people went through? Like the, the just, and you're calling this in Georgia, Jim Crow 2.0. It's, it's just so offensive. I, same thing with, I won't even get into it. You know, the voter ID stuff talking about how, <laughs> You know, oh, you know, certain people in certain communities can't get an ID. It's like you're—it's extremely offensive to the to these people saying, "Oh, they—they're not capable of obtaining an ID." It's like, wow, that's what you think of these people, then, huh? Like that's what you think of your fellow Americans, um, just because they look different than you—that they can't obtain an ID. It's—it's it's horribly racist, and you know, we're the ones that are called that for, for I don't know, suggesting that we might have some voter integrity, but. Because you're over the target. You're over the target, and they they know it. So they got to attack you in every way possible, even if they look stupid in attacking you. So, Yep. Roman, I wanted to ask you um, about voter drop boxes. Now, we don't see a lot of those here in in the western part of the state. I think there's one at each county courthouse, I believe, at least in the west. But out east in Philly, we see there are numerous drop boxes throughout each county. I mean, we're talking possibly into the hundreds of drop boxes. Now, we saw the movie come out with 2,000 mules um, talking about potential fraud. I'm not going to say there was. I'm just saying potential fraud. And what drop boxes, how they can, they are rife for, you know, corruption, basically. What, what is being done at the national level, or I should say at least in the state level with the Republican Party, to make sure that there are eyeballs on these drop boxes as we go up to election day. I mean, I guess what I'm trying to say is, are the Republicans in the state of Pennsylvania going to be caught off guard again like they were in 2020? At least I think so. Or is there a plan in place to basically ensure more voter integrity? Well, as far as the drop boxes go, I can only speak locally to where I am. And I've been told very clearly and directly by um, our county officials in Beaver County, where we live, um, that there will be no drop boxes um, and that that's not something that they're interested in. Now, of course, we know out east there's going to be and there can be. Um, to keep an eye on those things, I honestly have no clue if there's any, any uh, plans with that. Um, the, the PA Republican Party is doing something, um, a protect the vote effort. It's an election integrity thing. And it's actually something that I've been in contact with one of, with someone who's working for the PA GOP and help in helping them establish and get set up trainings around our region for people who want to be poll watchers um, and people who want to work inside the polls. Um, these are the people that, come, you know, you walk in and you say who you are, um, the ones that are sort of in there working the polls themselves. Um, and it's pretty crazy. Um, the number one volunteer thing we do, we, we reach out to a lot of people asking how they want to volunteer and across the state. And we're talking to everyone. And it's consistent with what we're seeing is that the vast majority of people who want to volunteer, want to be a poll watcher. Um, and whether or not that's going to include any type of drop boxes, the problem is, is those drop boxes. It's not like a, you know, 12 hour or 10 hour segment. It's, it's, you would have to have people watching those all the time. And then there's, there's all kinds of issues as to whether or not, like, you know, privacy issues. And you can't just walk up to someone and ask them why they just dropped 15 ballots in there. And um, you want to be able to take a picture of those types of things. So that could be extremely difficult. I don't know really if there's anything you can do there. But I do know 
that there are a fleet, there is a large group of people that are going to be out watching polls across Pennsylvania. Um, problem is, is the people, most people think when the counting takes place, that's when they really want um, people to be watching. And unfortunately, with this secretary of state and this governor and this executive branch, there's just, I just don't think there's much that can be done. Unreal. Um, I'm not trying to be too discouraging, but yeah, um, right, right. I know just these, the, the whole idea of drop boxes just doesn't sit right with me. I mean, we, we, we promote in, in-person voting every episode here. I mean, the pandemic is over, you know, that's at least what, that's what president Biden said. So why do we need, all these other, you know, ways to vote. I mean, show up to the polls and vote and cast your ballot. I understand if you can't get there, there's a medical condition. If you're a senior citizen, I, we, we understand yeah. that. But to have 1.2 million mail-in ballots requested, it just seems excessive. And then you could then go and drop that off at a ballot drop box somewhere out in the middle of Philadelphia. Yeah. I don't know. Blame Shapiro. Blame <laughs> Shapiro because he used... They used a faulty test, and I, I guess you could say – I know people died, but a statistical pandemic using a faulty test, and Josh Shapiro took advantage of it and pushed through all these laws that we're still stuck with. And it's not – they're not good laws for voting. So that's all I have to say. Well, you're the outreach. Uh, we're going to wrap up here in a few minutes. Uh, we're, we're approaching on the uh, – going to be hitting the hour mark here soon. So I do have one question on, on concealed carry, Mark. And that, Go that's, ahead and ask that before I get to my final question here for Roman. Okay, okay. so Roman, um, concealed carry in PA, why, why can't we just – why does my wife or me or anyone have to go pay a fee and get a card to carry their gun concealed when they're driving down Franklin Avenue or going to the Hill District in Pittsburgh or, or anything? Why should – pay a fee and, and that, are you for that is that something we could look to change in pennsylvania um well so why do you have to do it well because they someone made a law for it um is it constitutional i mean i i, I think that constitutional carry is something that um should be the norm across the country i i, I don't why do you have to do it? You know, Beaver County, again, speaking locally where I am, it's like it's like it was like a twenty dollar fee to get my concealed carry license um, every five years or whatever. Um, you know, it's I I do think that there is a I understand the uh, firearm groups when they come out and say like, listen, like this is you know, a lot of people say this is basically like a registration, um, keeping track of people. Um, when you talk to law enforcement about it, I think there's mixed messages and mixed feelings about it. Some people say it's helpful at times when there's a gun violence, but then they'll tell you a significant portion of the gun violence that's committed or committed with illegally held guns anyway. Um, so I think that everyone should have a const- the right to constitutionally carry. You shouldn't have to pay a fee on that. Now, I do think that there is a place for people who have committed heinous crimes to not be able to have access to that. I mean, they've lost their right there if they've committed some major crime. But you know, when you start getting into these red flag laws and stuff, where basically if someone determines that or someone says that you have a mental health problem, whatever that is, you know, maybe I had a bad couple months, two years ago when I lost my dad or something like that. And um, I had to see a counselor and talk through that, you know, suddenly it's like, what do I get put on a mental health list, not be able to have a gun or something like that to protect my family? Um, that's you think the election's stolen. You don't you don't get to hold a gun anymore. You thought the election. Was right. Stolen. 
No, and that, I think that, that's where you get to. Exactly. People will say that's right. We've been told this stuff so many times. Oh, we'll never go down that path, right? Like, oh, you're just being extreme. We'll, ne- we'll never do that. And then, you know, six months later, it's like, that's with everything with COVID, right? Like, oh, we'll never tell you you have to take the vaccine. I promise. Like, it's fine. It'll be optional, right? Tr- President Trump created it. We don't even want it. Oh, wait, do what? Now, okay, let's do it that way. So we know that. We know that game. So I, I agree with you. Yeah, 100%. Thank you very much. Thank you. Good, Mark. No, I, I have one last question for you, Roman. And as the outrage coordinator, I figured you'd be a good person to ask about this. Now, when we first met and became friends, you know, I was a Democrat. It's on the Beaver County Democratic Committee, executive board, all this stuff. But around mid-2020, I started to see, I started to have an epiphany, basically. I started to wake up and see, you know, how the media was being so slanted toward one side um, the, the Democratic Party was shifting farther and farther and farther to the left or it became got to the point where I just couldn't identify and couldn't resonate with what their message was and what they were saying. And I never thought I would do it, but I switched parties, you know, and I became a Republican. So in your in your position, how many people do you come across that are share the exact same story I just did with you, where you, you're, you're going from a Democrat to Republican? you know, in the last, say, you know, year or two. You say you, you woke up. Did you get woke, Mark? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I woke up one day and I said, I can't do this. And I think I texted you. I said, yeah. today's a good day to become a Republican. And, uh, yeah. and then that's when I finally switched. But Well, here's the thing, right? That's, so, yes, I run into this all the time, all the time, everywhere in Beaver County, particularly Western Pennsylvania. And... Um, just talking generally with people. I was a Democrat my whole life, right? I talk to a lot of people in Beaver County that are still registered Democrat. And they'll say things like, I'm not, I can't register Republican because my grandfather would roll over in his grave. And I'm doing it out of respect for him because he beat it into me so much, but I will never vote Democrat, right? It, there's this, there's that mentality there. And if you grow up, anybody who knows and listens and grew, grew up in the, you know, steel town, steel valleys, of Pennsylvania, the old, you know, Rust Belt, the old Democratic Party, in a lot of ways, was extremely conservative, um, in, in socially, without a doubt, you know, on topics like abortion and religious rights and, um, you know, uh, hunting and the right to, you know, bear firearms. And so those sorts of things, like the old, what they call blue dog Democrats, um, there's a, a last little bit of them still hanging around. Um, but I talk to these people all the time and um, the major thing is that it's just this sort of like, I don't know what happened to my party. And most of these folks that were Democrats for such a long time, you know, maybe they came in, you know, if you're Italian, right, Western Pennsylvania, Italian, you're going to have this sort of blue collar steel worker background and you're voting because you were part of the steel union or you were part of the union that it helped you as an individual and your family put food on the table. And it wasn't about all of these quote unquote progressive, which are just truly regressive things that are being pushed now. It was, it was about um, job security and it was also about supporting the industries here in, the, in this country. And it's interesting because we're seeing the Republican party start to adopt some of the things that, you know, the Democratic party um, in the I don't know, 40, 50 years ago sort of were embracing. Um, there's some switches going on there. We could talk a long time about that, but 
when I talk to people and I see them and, and they're telling me these sorts of things about why they're switching to the Republican Party, the number one thing is those people have absolutely lost their minds. Like that's the, that's the communication. Like we have no idea what happened to our party. You know, even the Bill Clinton party where Bill Clinton, you know, passed welfare reform and, you know, cut taxes with Newt Gingrich. Like that's gone. That is, that's, that's completely disappeared. Interesting. That's what I figured you would say. Uh, but I just wanted to, to confirm that with you as, as someone who would be the best person to, to, to speak on that topic. So, uh, Joe, anything else before we let Roman uh, go? No, we appreciate him coming on. Um, our listeners, we got to get them the proper information, the best information. And Roman, you are welcome back whenever after the election to talk to see what happened. If it went our way, if it didn't go our way, we want you back, buddy. Well, I appreciate that. And like I said, I'm just like every other one of these people out here that I've, I've obviously made some pretty firm predictions on some things that I'm pretty convinced by them. But um, don't go bet your house on everything. But I do think we're going to see a, a red wave. And I do think uh, some of these races important across the country are going to shake things up. So there's a lot that's going to happen here in the next few weeks. And man, I'll tell you what, this election day with I hope we can at least get some of these these races figured out early enough because you want to talk about people not trusting elections. Um, we can't keep doing this to everyone. Totally agree. All right, Roman, thank you, and we will uh, we will talk to you after the election. Awesome, man. Thanks, guys. Right. I appreciate Thanks, it. Roman. Thank you very much.